Welcome to Navigating Change, the education podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I am here once again with Howard Tybal. Good afternoon. I should say the, the always <laughs> forethinking Howard Tybal, ready for anything. I am not. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I never know what you're going to throw at me, Pete, but I'm excited about today's talk because this is such an important topic. Oh, I love it. We're going to be talking about succession planning today. And here's a tip for all you OD folks. The premise of this conversation may make the little hair stand up on the back of your neck. Before we dig in, head over to tybalink.com, learn more about our work in education. You can subscribe to the show for free. Just click the blue button, uh, give us your email address, and we will let you know each time a new episode is released. Okay, Howard, your position this week is one that may be controversial to anyone who's given any long-term work to HR planning. What is it in the planning process that we need to rethink regarding this concept of succession planning? I cannot tell you the number of people I work with leaders that express frustration and a lack of internal processes in place in their organizations to promote from within and to make sure they got the right people at the right time doing their job. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's such an interesting thing, and I've been thinking a lot about it lately when looking and and evaluating systems that Mm. appear on the surface to be broken, and then we discover they are broken, but not in the way that we thought they were. Mm. Uh, In fact, it's broken in a way we wholly don't understand, and that is is what you get me thinking about when you pose this question. What is it about succession planning that inherently doesn't work? Because we know we're going to take it as table stakes. This is important stuff to think about, but at some place there's muck in the gears. Well, if we're honest with each other in our organizations, the last thing any leader wants to think or talk about is their departure in the middle of the work. I mean, you, you've got a situation where you're fundamentally asking the organization and the individual to look at the job and say, I recognize I'm not going to be here at some point, and I'm going to start planning for that. The human dynamics around this conversation fundamentally makes it difficult to talk about. And I think one of the things that doesn't work about succession planning is we don't acknowledge that. Having conversations while we're doing uh, well is the time to talk about how are we going to deal with transitions. Now, it's really critical that we deal with this. We know about the aging workforce in education. And this is the latest statistics uh, from Business Officer Magazine. 37.3% of CBOs reported no formal or informal succession plans. The percentage of CBOs or business officers who are 65 years or older has nearly tripled from 5% in 2010 to 14% in 2016. 44% of 2016 respondents indicated that their next career move is retirement. So this is why, by the way, every time that I go to a conference, this is a a top-of-mind conversation. It's fascinating because this statistic, right, this statistic of, of, you know, 37.3% of CBOs reported no formal or informal succession plan feels like, okay, well, 40%, 4 in 10 uh, institutions must have a succession plan. That's not what the statistic is saying. Right. The, The other 6 out of 10 may have a very informal or certainly insufficient right. succession right. planning. This is this is a point of pain. It is a point of pain, and it's not just business officers. There was a survey back in 2006 of university presidents, and the average length of their tenure, 8.5 years, 2011, 
it went down to seven years. And I think we're going to continue to see a trend in the length of those roles going down. At some point, it might level out somewhere between five and seven years. But the point is, it's not a long time. By the time we find ourselves beginning to think about, well, what are we looking for in this role? We're already at a point where we need to have teed up some individuals, people, processes. And this is why more and more institutions find themselves with interim roles because they haven't done sufficient planning along the way. What is the definition of succession planning? It's a disciplined approach to identifying the most critical leadership roles across the organization, finding the people who can fill those roles, and preparing them to do so. Right? Makes perfect sense. It's pretty straightforward. And, you know, the standard elements of what are the key roles and requirements, surveying the – so for universities, surveying the campus to identify rising stars if you're looking to hire from within, what are the competencies needed, assessing candidates, and then building plans to align those people skills with the skills that the organization needs. These are all, from a linear standpoint, this makes sense. I th- think people can get behind it. HR does the best it can to promote this. But I think it breaks down because we don't we don't take into account the contingencies that show up in our world. We don't take into account the fact that we are so focused on the immediate and the problems of the day and the budgets and the issues that our boss brings to us. We are not devoting sufficient time to looking at how we're going to grow. So I think there needs to be a, a wake-up call. What are some of the strategies you can employ that would promote and prepare us to do a better job of setting ourselves up for a line of individuals to play those roles going forward? Well, and I think that is a that is a great place to start. And I wonder, as you walk through some of these points, if you could just talk a, a little bit about your experience working with your clients in, in this area. How many, because we've talked about the generic and industry statistics, based on your sort of empirical, rigorous empirical research, we'll say, how many uh, uh, folks are you uh, talking to in your consulting work that are actively thinking about this and and what kind of prodding does it take to get them to you know kind of over the edge to actually realize this is an important business decision you know i think that the the lack of transparency about people's choices to move on do something different there's there's a lot of behind door closed door conversations about people thinking about a move and then they find themselves in the 11th hour saying, we have to think differently about this. So, for example, for a presidential search, it could take a good one to two years because you are fundamentally waiting to hear when either the board or the president is ready to step down. And there's ranges from presidents that have been playing the role in their institution for 20 years and some that have been there for five and Already the board is thinking we need to make a change. The lack of transparency makes it difficult for there to be any systematic approach where you can be proactive. Here's something I want to raise, because I think as much as we some ways don't want to use industry as an example, I think we can learn a lot from industry because there's fewer constraints in industry 
to make tougher decisions. Most CEOs would not be able to run a university because they don't understand what it means to be collaborative in the way university professors and, and faculty and presidents, chancellors, need to be in their work. It is a – the shared governance model makes it difficult to make tough decisions, right? There are leaders in, in higher education that are willing to do tough things. Here's a great one that I read from a Business Insider. We'll make this um, particular article available to people. Let me just read this real quickly. We recently interviewed a newly appointed CEO who said, before I started the job, when I began sketching out my first 100-day plan, I made sure to include a clear focus on succession planning. So basically on day one, the conversation was about succession planning. And as much as that would be sort of out of the box, it's a powerful way of thinking about going to the work, that the work is bigger than you. Here's the problem I see, Pete. Everybody is waiting for somebody else to tell them, here's how we do this. So if you step into your organization, you're a new vice president at an institution, and you look around, nobody is doing their own personal succession planning or opening the conversation. What prevents you from saying, you know what? I'm going to start a process now of really capturing the kind of things that would be required if I had to step down. If something had to change, what has to be in place? And the problem I often see in, in higher ed, if the president doesn't say mandate it, if the board doesn't mandate it, people sit on their hands and they don't make those decisions. Well, that in so many ways, that's because these are systems that are undocumented, right? They're systems that are so deeply interpersonal, right? That yeah. there is, there's no way. It's, it is against our natural self-interest to start thinking our way out of a job prematurely, right? We right. wait for external signals to come in and, and— Exactly. Well, it's like when I ask people, how many of you have a completed resume? And people raise their hands. How many of you have a completed resume? You're not looking for a job. And then fewer people raise their hands. And I say, why do you do that? And they'll say, well, this is how I can become continuously aware of my strengths and what it is that I'm offering back. What I'm saying is separate out the I'm leaving or I'm preparing to leave from starting to think about if I had to leave or something had to change, what would that look like? HR should be involved in this. This is a, this is a powerful way to tee up a conversation. All right. So that's the first thing. Start okay. sooner. Start when you're hired. So the second thing, Pete, is focus on leadership attributes that make a leader successful in the organization. And it's not the fact that you used to work at this university, at this research one institution, so therefore you're going to be successful here, or that you are a phenomenal finance guy, that you've got all these credentials around finance. Hire for integrity. Hire for empathy. Hire for judgment and vision. Hire for, and this is my number one, hire for courage. Hire for passion. These are really important things we disregard and only wait until after the person's in the role. And once they are there, it's too late. And we find ourselves in a cycle of hiring people that don't fit the bill in the role that's needed. So we have to find a way to uncover those attributes in the hiring process. 
I think that's a really important thing. And I think in higher ed, we are seeing more and more of the other uh, process, right? We're seeing more and more of hiring a a director of academics or hiring a provost at our institution because they spent years at an institution that is exactly the same, serves exactly the same market as ours. And that doesn't necessarily imply success in this new institution. What I think you're getting at and what I think is really interesting is it doesn't necessarily measure adaptability, right? All mm-hmm. of those concepts you just talked about, the ability to to score high on these sort of emotional intelligence levels, it, it implies a level of adaptability to adapt to a new culture, to be able to think about leadership in a new way. And uh, and and really that implies, uh, you know, assessment, self-assessment, institutional assessment. Uh, where do we go from here? You can teach management skills. You can teach a higher level of finance, uh, a higher finance knowledge. You can't teach integrity. You can't teach courage. We have to find a way to ask and, and invite people to share. What did you do on your last job, for example, that was courageous? Where did you demonstrate integrity? We don't ask those questions. Let's talk specifically about truth to power, something you and I talk about quite often, the ability to admit this is when I take my leadership to task is something that as a leader, you want to hear. That's right. When did you, in your last job, push back on your boss and cause a problem, but you knew it was the right thing to do? It's almost like we need to give them permission to even voice those things. They step from one organization where they're told not to ruffle the feathers to another. What you're inviting them to do is to is to be a leader. But we have to invite them into that earlier on. What's what's your greatest problem? What's your greatest uh, challenge as a employee? I care too much. Yeah, you oh, do that really it. well. Yeah, let's practice. Are you available for uh, for hire? I'm on the market. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you when the last time you were actually you are courageous with me all the time. You're always you're always pushing back on me <laughs> in a good way. All right, all right. So, a couple other thoughts here in terms of succession. Bridging leadership development and leadership assessment. If we're going to do a better job of promoting from within, we need to capture the skills that people have and then marry that up with a leadership development program that we either bring in from the outside or we do internally. And often these things operate independently. We've got these great leadership development programs. Can I ask you something? Can I ask you something? I don't mean to interrupt, but I feel like there's a cognitive leap you just made. Something that you said was, if we're going to do a better job of promoting from within. It's a presumption I'm making that most organizations want to demonstrate that there's opportunity for growth. That's an important thing. Now, If I join an organization, no matter where I am, I want to know there's an opportunity for me to grow, not in just learning, but also grow career-wise and maybe into other roles. So this leadership development and leadership assessment is a way of giving people a reason to stick around and not say, you know what, I don't see uh, the next opportunity from here from a learning standpoint or from a salary standpoint, it's more about the opportunity to make an impact and to grow. And when they see that, they're out. And if they're not out, they're just phoning it in. If we don't find a way to help people develop their own skills, they're going to stay, but they're going to disengage and they're going to be complacent. There's a lot of that out Well, and huge opportunity to build your bench, right? Isn't that really what we're talking about? The opportunity to grow is is, it's it's self-serving from leadership position. If our intention is to build bench strength, 
then we have to ask this question, like, when is it more appropriate to go outside? Let me just give you a couple of uh, suggestions of how to think about this. Look to the outside when your performance information about the people who are there is inconsistent, right? It's obvious, right? You don't really know what you're dealing with, and, and often organizations don't have great performance metrics. And as a result, you might not be in the best position to promote from within or, or find a way to improve on that. Secondly, if you need unique skills, that's when you look to the outside. If you're in a position where you want to welcome an outside perspective, look to the outside. And where there is a process to integrate employees uh, into the organization in a more seamless way, this is also a place where you'll do a better job of integrating people in a, in a, in a timely way from the outside. You're going to do a good job when you're looking from, you know, from within, when your organization is thriving, right? When people are in that kind of mindset and that mind space, where there are succession plans and performance reviews, they're consistent, they're transparent, and you understand who it is that you're trying to promote and what their skill sets are. That you have an abundance of industry-specific skills that are required for the job, and that's very true in higher education. And finally, that you've got a unique and strong organizational culture that might be hard for people from the outside to understand. That's where promoting from within can can really help. So so higher ed's going through this cultural change in that we do want to have both, but those qualities I just described should reveal why you might be doing a better job of hire doing a better job of hiring from the outside or doing a better job of hiring from the inside. And I think we want to find a way of balancing the two of them. Finding a way to hire for consistency versus cha need for change. Two very different approaches to succession planning. Yeah, so hiring for consistency is looking from within, yeah, right? right? That's your point. Yeah, that's and point. hiring from the outside is building in uh, a, a different mindset. Yep. Yep. And, and having that balance is key. I, I worked at an uh, institution, a higher ed institution for a time. And one of the things I loved so much about the department, just in terms of a best practice, is that every hiring decision, every discussion around every hiring decision was with the, uh, the department head was... Uh, it included the specific line item, could this person ever lead this department? Mm. That that actually changes the way you hire everyone from frontline, you know, customer support to, uh, you know, mid-level managers, team members to people who are actually, you know, working in the classrooms. Everybody has the opportunity to lead if you if you, you start with that kind of a framework. I think that's an incredibly valuable way to do it. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Why is this important? You're fundamentally protecting the institution's assets, the value, by promoting a smoother leadership transition. And there's no way to do this in some ways that it will be without challenge. But I would start, if I was leading an organization, uh, an institution, by bringing together people from different areas and start opening the conversation, what are we doing well here? Too often, we make it one department's problem. And often, HR owns this. What I would highly suggest is that you bring together people who work in different divisions and have a conversation about this, not to solve it, but to understand it. 
Uh, we have been riffing off of a number of sources in here. I'll put links to all of these elements in the show notes, so you should be able to just scroll down and start tapping through the articles and the reports that Howard has mentioned in this conversation. Great, uh, great conversation today, Howard. I love bench strength. Yeah. Well, we, we got it right here, Pete. Yeah. You and That's I. That's right. Bench strength. It's a very short bench. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and attention, everybody who's downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate you. And uh, on behalf of uh, the good Howard Dybel, thanks for your time, sir. It's always a pleasure. It's great hanging out with you, Pete. As we're in the stretch now between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm. Here's to wrapping up a great year. Think about succession plan. What a be- There is no better time. I'm going to call this uh, incredibly well-planned on our part to have a conversation around succession planning right at the turn of the new year. See, the interesting thing for, for the, my clients is... Uh, this is mid-year. Yeah, right, right. It's Everything's broken in higher ed anyway. They're sort of schizophrenic yeah, in higher ed because it's really not the new yeah. year. It's like, okay, we still have another six months to go, yeah. people. Yeah, but you know, I stand by that because I think there is such a cultural kind of momentum around change at the new year. Whether you're going to work every day and doing your mid-year thing, uh, you're, you're oh, still going to wake up. It's going to be January 1st. And what are you going to do different? You're going to sit down and look at succession planning. Who's coming after you? Personal responsibility. That's the call to action. I stand by it. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change, the education podcast from Tybal Inc.